Um, I'm, I'm going to jump into, uh, it's, this morning, we're going to kind of be setting up, not just today, but we're going to be setting up uh, next Sunday as well. And I just want to be uh, up front with you a little bit. This morning is a little more didactic um, than, than, than normal. So we're going to kind of put our history hat on uh, for a few minutes in just a little bit, and then kind of talk about the history uh, of what Jesus was being born uh, into, um, the context uh, of the world uh, around him when he was being born. Why is Jesus our peace? Why is he our hope? Why is he what we get excited about a- around the Christmas time? And so we're going to kind of set up this morning for next week as we spend some time together. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to learn something this week, right? Right? All right. <laughs> um, I was sitting uh, in my office this week, and I couldn't help but get around um, this question. And I don't know why I thought about it. I don't know why I come up. Usually, um, if there's something that's circling around in my mind, I just uh, assume that it's from the Lord until he tells me it's not. Um, and so the question that was rolling through my mind is, um, uh, why, why am I here? Um, and, and what if I was never born? And, and not just me specifically, um, but what we ask ourselves sometimes as, as a culture, as individuals, um, what would life be like if, if I was never born? You ever thought about that? What would life be like if I was never born? I'm sure in a room this size, um, that question has come up maybe a time or two because there are situations in life um, where life just gets out of control and chaos kind of settles in and uh, that chaos comes in and it uproots our peace. That peace that we try to live for all of our lives. Like, I mean, we, we, we work through different stages of parenthood. We work different stages of work. We work through, like, to get to a certain place. Like, one of these days, there's going to be a day where it doesn't feel hard. <laughs> one of these days, it's just going to feel like there's, there's peace in my life. But there, there are times where we just feel like we never get to that point. And our peace feels like it gets uprooted. And the question begins to come in. Man, if I were never born, or, or even worse, what if I weren't here now? Uh, what if I weren't here anymore and thinking about maybe ending it? Because I wouldn't have to deal with the family drama. I wouldn't have to deal with the people around me. I wouldn't have to deal with the mess that I've caused. I wouldn't have to deal with the mess that's, uh, that somebody else has caused. Like, if, if I weren't here anymore fill in the blank. Maybe my peace would finally come. Maybe peace for somebody else in my life, maybe it would finally come there. I just wouldn't have to deal with all this stuff that I'm going through or people are going through around me. Um, one of my favorite Christmas movies, uh, as I, I told you guys a little bit last week, is It's, it's a Wonderful Life. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. You've got a guy named George Bailey, and, and George's a great, he, like, he is a great fellow, right? Um, he's always there when people need him. He's kind of the rock. He's the, like, uh, he's the rock of the family. He's the rock kind of of the town. He's the go-to guy. Um, he's the one that is solid for everybody else. He's stable. He works hard. He uh, fights against the evil Mr. Potter in town, right? Like, he is standing against injustice. Like, like he's that guy. But then uh, there's a moment in the movie where the, his peace gets upended. A thousand different ways his peace gets upended. Um, there, there, there's a little money struggle that goes on in the movie, and then his uh, credibility gets questioned. His credibility goes out the window. Um, nobody seems to trust him anymore. And there is, in this scenario, there is zero peace left in, in his life. And he finds himself, at one point in the movie, he's standing on a bridge. And the question that's rolling through his mind is, if I were never born... How would things be different? 
And he's got his hand, uh, you, you notice like in the movie, like he reaches into his, uh, his coat pocket and in his hand, there's a, there's a life insurance policy. And he's thinking about like, if I were to jump off of this thing and just end it right now, my family would be cared for, all these money issues would be problem, the, the city would be back in order, everything would be better. Chaos would be gone. And so the question that's rolling through his mind as he's standing on top of this bridge is, what if I was never born? The problems would get solved. Peace would be restored. But then, even in this movie that happened decades ago, right? Like, like b- before God was taken off the screen. Like, back in the day, God steps into this movie. And this little fellow named Clarence. Clarence. Are you guys remember Clarence? He is angel second class. AS2 Clarence. He steps in, and he allows George to see what life would be like if he were never born. He takes him through this scenario, and, and, and he says, hey, you've been given a great gift, George, a great gift to see what life would be like if you were, if you were never here. And you go through this, this huge whirlwind of seeing scenarios where his life plays out with, with the people that he has loved and the places that he has loved, and he's no longer a part of it, and where he thought everything would be better, where he thought the chaos would be gone, it actually is worse with him out of the picture. So I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you this question. Has anybody ever been honest enough to say, you know, there are times in my life where I felt like George. I felt like George, George Bailey. Just no peace, chaos all over in my life. Can't make heads or tails out of the situations that are going on. The world seems like it's upside down. And the question rolls around in my mind from time to time, what if I was never born? And even worse, what if I weren't here right now? I want you to think about this. The impact that one life has on the people around them is significant. It's deeply significant. And taking away a life doesn't bring peace. Let me say that again. Taking away a life, it doesn't bring peace. It's actually when we add Jesus into the mix where peace is possible. It's, ad- it's not taking a life. It's adding a life into the mix where peace becomes possible because where Jesus goes, that's where peace goes. We talked last week about where hope goes where God goes. Peace goes where Jesus goes. Not taking away a life, but adding his life in is where peace is. And I think when we're talking about the Christmas season, we've got to think about the context that Jesus was born into. The context is it's not warm and cozy, right? He is, uh, he, like we read the story from this side of the cross and we read the story and we see little warm baby Jesus in the manger and we like that and we feel good about that. But the idea, we're, 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 the context that Jesus was born into, he was born into angst and turmoil. He was born into a context where people were living in darkness, people whose lives were turned upside down and inside out, people who had chaos all over in their lives everywhere. No peace to be found. And that's why the birth of Jesus is so significant, because he's born into this place. That's why there's hope when Jesus is born, because there's hope in the middle of that chaos, that that somebody could actually come in and relieve the pressure that I've been having, these thoughts that I've been going through. There's somebody who can actually come in and take that away, and not just take the thought away, but take the stemming stemming action that's led me to um, that thought. See, the people pre-cross pre-Bethlehem. These, these were people like you and me who had been told that one day you're going to have peace. One day your chaos is going to come to an end. One day your Messiah is going to come. One day, just be patient and wait. One day it's going to happen. But at this moment in time, he hasn't been born yet. 
He hasn't come into the mix. And this was the fear that Israel had, right? Uh, they, were living, um, uh, they, they were living pre-Jesus. They were living in chaos. They were living in a context where Jesus hadn't yet been born in Bethlehem, and they were afraid that it was never going to happen. They heard the words of the prophet Isaiah that we talked about last week out of chapter 7. Look, the virgin, she's going to conceive, and she's going to give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They heard Isaiah talk about this. They heard him say, too, that the people who are walking in darkness, they've seen a great light. They heard Isaiah say that, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government's going to rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. They heard the prophet Isaiah say that. And then they heard the words that came right after that. His government and its peace will never end. So when is that going to be? How long do we have to be patient for? How long do we have to wait? They heard the prophet Micah say, within the same context, hey, one day there's going to be a Savior who's going to come. He's going to be born out of this little town called Bethlehem. They'd heard the promises, yet their day-to-day life hadn't got any better. Like, and that's what we want, right? We want peace in the day-to-day. We don't want just peace that we're waiting for eternally. We want peace right now in the garbage and the junk that we're dealing with, but their day-to-day wasn't changing. I mean, they were still being bullied in the, in the towns that they were living in. They would get harassed when they went to the marketplace. They, they got harassed and, and, and um, uh, abused for not following the gods of the land. They, 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 they got harassed for worshiping any other god um, that, that would, would, that you think like there could only be one God. You don't need this multiplicity of gods. And so not only were they emotionally harassed and socially harassed, but they were physically harassed as well. And the question in their mind was, how long do we have to wait? When is my better going to come? When is this peace going to show up? And, and I'm guessing that again, in a room this size that we thought the same kind of things. How many times have we heard, just be patient and wait. It's going to come around it's going to get better. But when? They heard the prophets talking about Jesus, but he hadn't come. And the fear was, oh my goodness, what if we've been duped? What if this has just been a huge hoax? What if this has been a sham? Walking around like, oh, you got me. I, I was a fool to believe in this stuff. I was a fool to have any hope that anything could ever change. You got us. Way to go. What if he never does come? What if he's never born? Because here's the deal. If there's no hope for peace, isn't that a place for despair? If there's no hope that things are going to get better, man, that wreaks havoc on the peace that you have in your life or any hope that peace could show up. And to be fair, I feel like the fear that Israel was living with at the time was somewhat justified. And so why would I say that? I say it because they were human. And, and, I'm, and I'm human. And, and when our human experience begins to become unbearable and our patience begins to wear thin, even the best of us have a breaking point, don't we? <laughs> like we can hang on for so long, but at some point it's like, I'm done. Like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then we find ourselves standing on a bridge, either physically or emotionally or mentally. Like we're there. We're like, I don't know what needs to change, but something's got to change because if not, like this is over. Isaiah said, God's going to come. Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to come. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's coming. But their human experience, it was contradicting their hope because 
pain felt like more of a reality than peace felt like a reality for them. There was more pain than there was peace. See, Prince of Peace, that means something to us, right? We hear that, and it means something to us. Prince of Peace also meant something uh, to those who were hearing it for the first time as well. What they heard when they heard Prince of Peace was Shar Shalom in Hebrew. Shar Shalom, which means the one who's going to remove anything that disturbs peace, and he's going to secure peace for me. They, what they heard when they heard Shar Shalom, when they heard Prince of Peace, they heard that your life's going to be settled. Things are going to be better. Angst and chaos, it's all going to be gone. If you want to put it in uh, um, chief's terms for today, you know, that would be like uh, Clyde Lair. Like he's, he's, got a, he's got a blocker and the blocker busts through the hole and he secures peace for him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the end zone and nobody's going to touch me, right? Th- this, is, this is what the people of Israel were seeing, that when they heard Prince of Peace, there was going to be a savior who was going to come, a Messiah was gonna, who was going to clear the way, get out any obstacle to their peace, move it out of the way so that they can make it all the way to the end zone, so they can make it to the promised land, unscathed, untouched, king of the hill, they're in control. That's what they heard. And that's what we want too, right? When we hear Prince of Peace, that, that's what we hear. We hear Prince of Peace and we say, my, my human experience gets better. My chaos gets removed. And it doesn't just get removed eternally, but my chaos and my eternal experience or my, uh, my uh, experience as a human, it gets better right now. There's a clear path for me to get to the end zone. And on top of that, Isaiah was saying, the government's going to be on his shoulders and the peace would never come to an end. And he's going to sit on the throne of his ancestor, David. But again, Israel hadn't seen this. In their lifetime, what they had seen of kingship, like who he's writing to right now, what they had seen was a king uh, of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar who had complete control and domination. He was the king of the hill. What they saw in their lifetime was the Assyrian empire, a king who had complete control and domination. And so when they thought about a king sitting on the throne, they saw those people, those kings, they didn't see their people, they didn't see their king, and they wanted what everybody else had. They they wanted what the other countries had. They wanted to hear, our human experience is going to get way better. We're going to be on top of the world. We're going to be king of the hill. But that's not what they got. Now, here's where we got to put on our, our history cap here for a second, because when we read the Bible... When, when uh, we read through the Old Testament, we end with Malachi, right? Like we, we get to the end, the Old Testament is done, and then we turn the page and we get straight into the New Testament. We get straight into the Gospels. We, we finish Malachi and we run in uh, to Matthew. So on this side of Bethlehem, on this side of the cross, when we read these two stories side by side, it almost feels instantaneous. The Old Testament's done. We read the prophecy about Jesus. We read that he's going to be coming and uh, we turn the page and all of a sudden we have a a little baby infant who's in the manger, right? Like there's no time gap in between the two, but there is a huge gap. There's 430-ish years that have happened from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. That is a long time to be stuck in chaos. That's a long time to be holding on hope. They said, how long do we have to wait? Well, at least at this point, it was still 430 years. And it's somewhere in this 430 years where questions would have come up. What if I were never born? What if I 
weren't here right now because of the, the chaos? What if the Savior never comes? What if he never shows up? What, what, what are our lives going to be like if he never actually shows up? What if our situation never actually changes and gets any better? And guys, I want to be honest. Those 430 years, it's a great gift for you and me. As, as Clarence, angel second class, would say, it's, we've been given a great gift to see what life would be like if the Savior was never actually born. Those 430 years are an opportunity for us to see what would it be like if Jesus never actually steps into history, right? And, and so for those uh, 430 years, we call it the intertestamental period, and it was a time of just utter darkness uh, in Israel. See, Israel at the time, they had, they had heard um, the voice of the prophets. They were used to hearing the voice. They didn't always follow the voice of the prophets, but they were, they were at, least, at least used to hearing from the prophets. Uh, and uh, after Malachi, though, you don't hear the voice of another prophet for over 400 years. The voice of God goes silent in the land. Now, here's the thing. God hasn't forgotten them. In this 400 years, 430 years, God hasn't forgotten them. The, the people aren't abandoned, although it seems like a really long time, because we get to Galatians chapter 4, and Paul tells us that all this time, like God was waiting. He was patiently waiting for just the right time to send his son onto the earth. He was waiting for just the right time um, for, for him to, to, to show up. And so God knew that he was coming. God knew that he had a plan, but the people that he was serving, they felt abandoned at the time. But he's been somewhat silent for, for them. See, the Persians and the, the Babylonians, we know from Old Testament history that they've ransacked Israel, right? They've, they've defeated Israel. They've busted down Judah. They've had their way there. They've torn down the temple. But when Persia was in charge, they allowed uh, Israel to go back and to rebuild the temple. Remember, we talked about that when we were going through the book of Haggai, that they were able to go back to the land and begin to rebuild the temple. But here's what happened throughout, throughout that time of being um, exiled away from Jerusalem. They got used to worshiping in synagogues and little local areas where they, there, there wasn't a temple, so they had to worship somewhere, and so they, they worshiped in the synagogues around the area. And so even though the temple was rebuilt in, uh, that's right before Jesus was coming into the mix, they still gathered in these synagogues. And inside these synagogues, there were religious teachers, people who would teach them about the law, who would teach them about how to follow God. Uh, we know them as Pharisees and, and Sadducees or just, or just religious teachers. We know them as kind of the elite once we get to the New Testament. They're actually some of the guys who get blasted by Jesus when he shows up on, on the scene. But while this is all going down, they're worshiping in these synagogues. They were still being ruled by a foreign regime. They were still under the control of, of somebody else. And so then the Persians, they get overthrown by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes in and the Greeks come in and they start to implement their way of life how they worship God's, their philosophy of life. And so everything begins to change. The spread of new ideas is taking hold. And you begin to see a culture shift in Jerusalem. You see a culture shift amongst the Jews throughout Israel and throughout the surrounding lands as well. But while the Greeks are in charge, Israel is being ruled over. They still don't have a king sitting on, on the throne. And during the time of the Greek rule, there was a, a leader who rose up who, who attempted to try to completely wipe out the Jewish people. Um, he, he goes in and he tries to, he, he, he says that you can't worship God any longer. You, you can't follow the God the way that you followed him. 
Um, he shuts down worship inside the synagogues. He shuts down worship inside the temple. He actually goes into the temple and puts a slaughtered pig inside of the temple. Now, for a Jewish person, that is just complete and utter dis- uh, um, uh, destruction. Like, this is complete desecration. You can't do something like that. And then he sets himself up as ruler inside of the temple. And on top of that, he cancels the religious holidays. He cancels the Jewish festivals. Israel can't do anything to stop the rule of this dude who's in charge. Until a guy named Judas Maccabeus jumps in. He can't handle this anymore. He can't take it any longer. And so he puts together militia and they go and they overthrow uh, the government. But that little bit of peace only lasts for a short amount of time because then the Romans show up. And the Romans become the new sheriff in town. And they become a huge world power. They're the power on the scene. And all of this time, Israel has been ruled over by somebody else who's not a Davidic king, who's not somebody who's sitting on the throne. They've been ruled by foreign entities. And this is what's happening between Malachi and Matthew. 430 years expecting that a savior is going to come. He's going to sit on the throne of David that's been promised to him and that their human experience is going to somehow get better. But there's still no king in sight, still no word from God. The heavens have gone completely silent. The question is, what if he's never born? And the people of Israel, they've been bullied for so long. Their self-esteem has been ripped away from them. Their identity has been ripped away from them. They can't worship the way that they would normally like to worship. They only get to worship the way that they want if somebody tells them they can worship the way that they want. And so this 430 years for us, this is a gift to us to see what life without Jesus would actually be like if nothing ever changed if the promise from, from the prophecies never came through, what would happen is you would have people standing on the bridge asking, what if he never comes? What if I was never born? How can I have peace right now? But taking a life doesn't lead to peace. Adding the life of Jesus leads to peace. Because where Jesus goes, that's where peace goes. Where Jesus is, that's where peace is. So it's in chaos where peace shows up. It's in darkness where peace shows up. Because somewhere at the end of this 430 years, a bright spot comes in, something happens that begins to restore the hope that peace can actually happen for the people. A whisper that comes into the darkness. You've got it in Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Luke chapter 1. Again, I just want to remind you, like we're, we're setting up, we're setting up Christmas. We're setting up what's about to happen um, in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. I want you to see what God's doing here, okay? Gabriel, he's already shown up. He's talked to Elizabeth. He's talked to Zechariah. But Mary doesn't know any of that's gone down. God has been silent for Mary for as long as she's lived. She's, he's been silent for generation after generation after generation. So she's gotten accustomed to not hearing the voice of God. So, and she doesn't know any of this has gone down. No one has heard from him. But he's been waiting for this moment. He's been waiting for the moment that we just read about for so long. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 what happens? Adam and Eve, right? 
Adam and Eve happen and, and sin enters into the world. But there's a unique passage in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 that, that, that plays out. Because what God says to the serpent, God says to Satan there in a the garden, that there is going to be a son who comes, who's born from a woman, who is going to crush your head. Yeah, you're going to bruise his heel. You're going to have a little bit of an impact on him, but he is ultimately going to crush your head. And so since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit has been waiting for this moment to happen waiting for the opportunity where he will get to exit from heaven and to go down and talk to a little girl named Mary and say, there is one who's going to come and change all of this. I'm so excited for, for this moment to happen. And I imagine that Gabriel has been waiting a really long time for this moment too. Hey, is today the day? Do I get to go and tell her today? Do I get to go and let him know what's getting ready to happen? And so finally God says, yes, now's the day. Go tell her. And the prophecy lines up with what's been going on for years and decades and centuries. That there is going to be somebody who's going to come and he's going to sit on the throne of David and of his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There was silence, but then Mary hears, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I think this is probably the biggest understatement that you read in Scripture. Because if an angel showed up, like, there probably needs somebody to come clean up something for me, right? If it just showed up, it's like, boom, behold. Like, I would be scared out of my mind. And so for her, for Scripture to say, hey, hey, she was confused a little bit. But the angel comes in and says, hey, don't be afraid. Why does he say don't be afraid? Because she's terrified. Confused but terrified. The angel told her, for you found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Jesus. And when she heard that, and when all of Israel heard that, they would make the connections. This is the one who's come to save. This is the one that we've been waiting on. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. He's like, that's what we've been waiting for. Okay. Verse 34 Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, and, and this is the details, right? I mean, because if this is going to happen, and you're saying this is going to happen to me, like, I want to know how this is going to work. Because I'm engaged to be married to this dude over here. And you're telling me that I'm about to have a son? How's this going to work? And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. He says, how's this going to work? This is going to be a complete God thing. This is going to have, no, you've, you have found favor with God, but this is God doing everything, every single thing that I'm telling you right now. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then, then the angel left her. What Gabriel was saying to Mary in this moment was that the peace that you've been waiting for, the peace that your mom and daddy have been waiting for, the peace that grandma and grandpa and great-grandma and grandpa and great-great and great-great, the peace, it's coming. In nine months, 
You're going to be holding that little baby in your arms. And that's what you and all the world has been waiting for, not just for eternity, but for the peace that you need for today as well. And, and so I, I, I want to just real quickly talk about what does that mean for us right now today, right? What is, what is, what is the peace that was being told of Mary and the peace that was prophesied by Isaiah? What does that mean for us today, right? Because if it, does, if it doesn't work for us today, then it just doesn't work. If it only is good for eternity, then it doesn't work for us to live out. But God is for us now, and he's also for us into eternity. So what does that look like? Well, those who trust Christ as their Savior, we've been given an assurance by God that that flows out of a new relationship with, with Jesus, that will flow out of the relationship that comes from this Prince of Peace, right? And once we're in Christ, this Prince of Peace, he shows us that he can bring peace wherever he rules, not just into eternity, but he can bring peace right now here on earth in, in our lives. And so I think that he brings peace into life's chaos, right? So it's, again, it's not just for eternity, but he brings peace into life's chaos. Like we go through a bunch of garbage. There's real chaos in our lives, real pain that we walk through, real family drama, real, real hurt, real loss, real emotional stress, real physical pain that we go through. There's a lot that we go through in what we call the human experience and, and just brings chaotic things that we would say, man, at some point I've thought about going there. Some point I've been a George Bailey thinking if all this doesn't work out, if something doesn't change, something, something's really going to have to be drastically different in my life and for the people around me. There is real chaos that shows up. But what God was promising through this Prince of Peace was that you could have peace in the middle of your life now, but also into eternity. I think the way that this Prince of Peace adds peace to our life now is he brings peace into our maturing process, into the growth process. There are none of us who like get saved and then we're instantly, um, we're instantly fixed, Right? Um, there, there's the moment of salvation where our life is completely changed and we have the spirit of God now living inside us and we have what we call justification. We are saved. We belong to God. We are part of his family. But the outworking of that, that's a long process until Jesus comes and takes us to be with him. And that's a, that's a long process of growth and learning how to be patient with ourselves and learn how to be patient with other people as well. We, we find a lot of drama in our life that, that we initiate ourselves, but we also find a lot of drama that gets initiated in, in our lives from other people. But God's peace allows us to be patient with ourselves, but it also allows us to be patient with other people around us, knowing that not only I am, am I in a growing process, but people around me are in a growing process as well. And so like being able to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, right? Like that, that's a big deal in our growing maturity. That, that the way somebody treats us doesn't have to interrupt my peace. The way that I've acted in the past doesn't necessarily have to interrupt my peace because I know I've been forgiven. And so in this growing process of maturity, we have patience with others, but we also have patience uh, with ourselves. Um, I think this, uh, th this is just like it. It's another, it's another card of the same deck here, um, is that there, there's peace in our relationships. N not, not just peace in our maturing process, but there are peace... In our, in our relationship. They, they kind of go hand in hand. But mature people have the opportunity and the ability to walk into a situation with God's peace and say, you know what? I, I don't have to enter into the drama. I don't have to um, uh, enter into uh, what feels like this, this broken context of, of, of communication 
We have the ability to step back and to use the wisdom God has given us, the sermon that he's given to us, to say, you know what? This is not good. I'm not going to engage in that. This is good. I'm going to choose to engage in that. So many people right now in our context, right, they're just kind of popping off at the mouth or popping off at the computer or on social media and thinking about this is how things should be and this is what I think and this is what goes on. And then all of a sudden, man, there is something that begins to boil inside of us to think, well, I just have to post right back. I have to say what I'm thinking right now too. But the peace of God allows me to have peace whether that person says what I want them to say or not. I don't have to jump into the context and bring my thought into the conversation in order to, to restore peace to the galaxy, right? Like, I, I, I can be okay if other people are, are being crazy at the time. What if we were the person that brought peace into that conversation? Not vitriol and hate and backlash, but what if we were the person who, who brought um, some levity and peace into the conversation? Not just our own opinion, but what if we brought, we became peacemakers as, the, uh, that, as Jesus has allowed us to be? You know, that, that's probably one of the things that I've been thinking about the most here recently. Um, as a dad, as a man, thinking about what does it look like for me to be a peacemaker? Um, we, we do Be Iron on Tuesday night or Tuesday mornings, uh, and we got a group of guys who get together and work out. Um, but there's, you know, always somebody who's kind of leading a bit of a devotional uh, at the end of our workout in between deep breaths. And uh, um, the fellow who talked on Tuesday, um, he shared about what anger looks like um, in our house as, as fathers and how we can control the room when we walk into the house. Like there is a, there is a physical dominance that a male can have when you walk in the door, whether you want to believe that or not. There's a dominance that you possess. And then if you just tap into that, and, and, and take that into a negative way, you can walk in and you can dominate the conversation, you can dominate your spouse, you can dominate, you can dominate the kids, and, and, and just get angry and change the whole mood of the room. And I thought, boy, that's, that's really challenging uh, to me because uh, there's scripture that talks about hey, be angry without sinning. There's opportunities that we have to be peacemakers and, and not anger stirrers. And I thought, what does it look like for me to live in the peace of God for my own life that Jesus has given me and to walk in my door and to be a peacemaker with my kids? I'm not saying I know how to do that. But the thought is there in my mind. Like, how do, how do I not light a flame, but pour some water uh, on something that might already be burning in my house? How do I, as a dad and as a husband, bring peace there and, and not more, more strife? And the, the last thing I think that Jesus' peace is um, it offers us the ability to be, um, to bring peace as a witness um, for Christ. If you've trusted Jesus, if he's a part of your life, man, we're called to be proclaimers of this peace in the life of others. And I don't have to worry about what somebody's going to say. I don't have to worry about if somebody's going to like what I have to say. I don't have to worry, to get anxious. Like, I don't know, like, like that's going to be weird because nobody else talks about Jesus. Like, I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because Jesus has already brought peace. He's already died for my peace. He's already died so that I can have eternity. My job as a witness is to bring that peace into somebody else's life. And so my question is, like, who, who do you know that needs to know the peace of Jesus? Who, who, do you, who do you know that you've just kind of been holding back on and say, man, I'm afraid to say something? I mean, the peace that Jesus brings gives us the ability to share the love and the grace mercy of Jesus without worry about what somebody else is going to say. Walk into it with peace, not, not angst. George Bailey, he, he stood on a bridge in a movie, right? And he was in the middle of, of chaos, holding on to his uh, life insurance policy. 
And God steps in in that moment with Clarence, AS2, and says, it doesn't have to be like that. You're needed. You're needed in your family. You're needed in your community. You're needed in this world. One life makes a difference. Jesus stepped into your life to give you peace, to be your peace, to make a difference in the world, but not just to make a difference in the world, but to make a difference in you individually, your life, to bring you peace. He is your peace. And where Jesus goes, that's where your peace goes. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for uh, time with my friends this morning. Thank you, God, that we get the opportunity to spend some time and uh, just reflect on uh, the world when you stepped into it. It was chaos then. It was darkness then, but you came and you brought light. You stepped in and you brought hope. You brought peace. And Father, we're in... Uh, chaotic and turbulent times right now where it feels like our peace is upended and uprooted in every direction. Whether it be from somebody else or whether it be from ourself or whether it just be just because there's sin in the world. There is chaos and there's turmoil. And Father, we need you to bring hope into that space. We need you to bring your peace into that space. We need to not rely on ourselves but to rely on you and to know that um, we can have and enter into your peace. Now, even if things aren't perfect um, because we wait for a day when you're going to make all things perfect. And so uh, this week we're going to focus on your peace and we're going to think about how you came and you changed the culture. You changed the dynamic. You changed the tone. You changed the mood. Let us be peacemakers in our home and in our culture, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.